0: So let me know if you guys can hear me on this new live stream. I promised you guys we'd start a new stream since the audio didn't seem to be working on the standard stream. So, sorry about that guys. I told everybody to rejoin. Okay, Ethan says he can hear me. I don't know, it was something buggy with, with YouTube where hopefully it doesn't just suddenly cut out. Okay, good. Now you guys already had some great questions in there on the old stream, so or the stream we were trying where the audio just cut out after a few seconds. So if you guys can uh, retype those, I apologize. We can start answering some of those questions. So I'll just get going here, and as we people start to file in, um, you know they'll start to ask more questions. Uh, Tony said uh, you're back. Yes, I'm back, Tony. As always, many thanks for so much uh, for, for taking time out of your day and your week to help us out. I know I speak for all of us when I say we greatly appreciate you. You rock. Thank you, Jason. Tony, that was great. Thank you, Tony. Um, uh, Jason said, hey, Andrew, hope all is well. I had to sadly shelve some great projects in the past due to no interest. Well, I... I actually like the words you're using there. Now, sometimes people say when they shelf a project, that means it's dead. I like to differentiate between shelving a product and throwing it in the garbage can. Because a lot of times um, our students still, Ill, and I'm kind of surprised with some products. I'm like, that's so cool. I'm surprised you didn't get any interest. And I'll tell the student, they're like, yeah, me too. I'm like, don't put that in the garbage can. Just put that on the shelf or in a closet and come back to it 6, 8, 10, 12 months later Resend all the same people unless they told you if a company says it won't work because of this, this and this. Well, then don't resend to them. But if they just gave you a generic, not at this time, not a right match for us, resend it. So don't put those projects in the garbage can that you think make a lot of sense, Um, because maybe that marketing manager that got your product actually really liked it. But they didn't want to tell you that because then they know you wouldn't go away and they just didn't have time for another project. So that's you gotta you gotta look at it from their perspective too. Maybe they got three bosses, five projects, inundated with email, stressed out, and they see this product and they like your product, but they can't tell you that because they don't have the bandwidth to take it on. So they give you this generic response: "Not at this time, not a right match for us." They might even say "Not a right match for us," even though it might be, because or they just don't respond. So um, realize that's very common. So if you really believe in it, don't give up on it. Work on another project and push it back out. You've got all their emails, you've got um, you've got their contact information, you already have your sell sheet. Like it's like the easiest thing you could do, you know. So always, always do that if you think it makes sense, okay? Um so let's go back to Jason's question since I got off on a tangent there. It was pretty much directly asking it, but I was assuming what he was asking. Hey, Andrew, hope all is well. Um, I had to sadly shelve some great projects in the past due to no interest. So, sh- great. Take those back off the shelf when you're ready. I've not, I've now learned Photoshop and can visualize all my ideas easily with a cell sheet and to save. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, to save more money. Do I need patents for all of them or can I just, let's say, 10 new inventions at the same time? Um, to the 15 or 30 companies I already know, or should I only handle one invention at a time? No, once you know this process, I highly encourage you guys to work on two or three or four or five or how many everybody's different and the complexity of projects is different, projects at the same time, you know, and I highly encourage you to do that. Um, But, you know, to me, the fact that you've learned Photoshop doesn't mean you should be doing your own cell sheets. Just because you learn Photoshop doesn't mean you have good graphic design skills, right? Now, I've seen people that have been able to do it, but graphic designers are so cheap these days, like, why wouldn't you get somebody to make it beautiful for you? But if you want to do that, that's fine. Just realize, just because you know how to use Photoshop doesn't make you good at graphic design. You might be technically competent, but it still doesn't look quite right, Um, you know? So, but... Yeah, I, I would. No, I would definitely move towards working on multiple at the same time, um, but try to really understand what things you may be doing wrong. Like you may think your sell sheet's wrong. Oh, I learned Photoshop and it is and they're pretty sucky or they might be great. You know, so just kind of if you're working on multiple projects at the same time, don't make the same mistake with multiple projects. But if you're like, no, I'm on track. I know I'm on track because people have been getting back to me and things like that. Okay. But I wouldn't start working on five projects at once when you don't really understand the process yet. So I don't know which, which one you are, Jason, but, but thank you for the comments. Um, looks like uh, some people have found the new stream yet because we had an audio problem and told everybody to rejoin. Hopefully everybody knows how to do that. Um, Marcus here, what season do you think companies are looking for right now? Um, It really depends. I I really wouldn't give it any thought at the beginning. I think that when you're in an industry, you'll start to learn, oh, here are the two industry trade shows. Like maybe I don't want to send something to them the week before the trade show. But to me, I wouldn't overanalyze it, guys. I think it's just any time, all the time is the right time to submit to companies. Now, if you're in an industry, let's say you're in the pet industry or let's say you're in the automotive industry industry or like gardening, let's say, and there's this seasonal aspect to it. You'll if you're in that industry and you're working a lot of products in industry, should you start to observe that? Like, when is there a trade show? So I should be observant of that. Yes. At the beginning, I wouldn't even give it any thought whatsoever, even if it's a seasonal product. They will let you know and you'll learn it just by reaching out. But um, so I think any time is a good time. OK, don't I think we can paralysis by analysis, you know, we can get into that. And it's just, it's just not something that I think is something you should really be thinking about for your first product. You know, Um, let's see. So thank you for that, Marcus. Great question. Uh, Fuego Fool. I like that handle. That's cool. What is the best way to extend the life of a patent? If it's already at half of its life, is it worth anything to a company if it only has nine years left? hell yeah. (laughs) So you don't, you know, so let's talk a little bit about that. So the thought process that everything you license is going to sell for 20 years. And I think patent attorneys, some inventors in general actually think that's a thing. It's not. Um, How many products sell for 20 years? Some might. Okay, great. And there are tricks. You could extend a patent out beyond 20 years. You could come up with a new variant of it. Or whatever there's a, if a product is gonna sell for 20 plus years, you can come up with other intellectual property quite often to keep it going because you're probably gonna if a product's selling that well to come up with some new iteration at some point in time before 20 years. Do most products sell for 20 years? No, you know, and, and Sue, so do most products sell for nine years, which is what Fuego Fool has left on their patent. No, a lot of them don't. Nine years is plenty. Like I wouldn't hesitate for a second to not to worry about that. Um, but Fuego Fool, so let's say you license it and the product gets the market in a year. Okay, now you got eight years left on your patent. And if the product's selling really well, you should come up with new versions, iterations, keep help keep them on top, and you might file an additional patent and get it beyond that eight years without a doubt. But this perception that because patent patent's 20 years, therefore the product will sell for 20 years is utterly ridiculous. I mean, some products might go like crazy and they sell really, really quite a bit for three years and then boom, they just fall off into nothing for whatever reason, a competitor or this or that. And then other products, some of them do sell for 15, 18 years or something like that, you know? But but that's not, I wouldn't say that's common, you know? Um, so the fact that Fuego Fool has nine years left on their patent that they file, well, first off, don't go filing a patent again. So one of the things we teach in InventRight is to file a provisional patent. And then like the next week, you're ready to start calling companies and you've got a whole year to fish off the pier and see if there's interest. And if there is, you get them to give you the money as an advance on royalties. And then you pay that money, you give that to your attorney to file a full utility patent and reference that provisional. So now when you're licensing, you're only risking $75, not 10 or 12 grand, which is not ever necessary. You should never need to file a patent in order to license something. You never need an issued patent in order to license something. We had a question the other day from a, from a student and they said, well, this, com- this website says they only accept issued patents. Well, any company that only will accept your product if it's an issued patent, not patent pending, like a provisional patent, is telling you they don't want your ideas. We're a freaking dinosaur. Um, ridiculous. Okay, They're not interested in your ideas. To expect an inventor to file a patent, sit around waiting one to three years for it to issue, and then only license it then, that, that is the best way to hurt yourself and to drive yourself absolutely insane. And just because you guys saw one or two companies that are dinosaurs and saying, we'll only license products from companies that have issued patents doesn't mean that's the norm. And that's a big problem. I see inventors, I love it that you're putting yourself out there and you're getting into the game but they have very little experience and they experience something once or twice. And then I'm on a phone call with them. And these are not our students. These are non-students. And they're like, Oh, but this is how it is. I'm like, no, that's not at all how it is. We've had students for 22 years in the 65 countries. We know how it is. That's not how it is. In, in this particular case, oh, only companies, they only want issued patents. No. Or there's a lot of other assumptions you can come to. So please guys don't like experience something once or twice and go, this is the way it is when it's not. Okay. Um, so hopefully that was helpful. Great questions, guys. Um, Dumpcat cat is their handle. Uh, Shark tank investors. Do you have a patent inventor? Not yet. Shark tank pass. Yeah. Our other co-founder, Stephen keys, feels like that's the, the most laughable thing in the world. So first off, what we guide our inventors our students to do to license is way sexier than Shark Tank. So the, and, and I'll thank Shark Tank for encouraging people to work on their products. Okay. They see people working on their products. They get excited. Thank you, Shark Tank for that. But besides that, I have nothing to thank Shark Tank for except for creating a lot of misinformation and, um, and misperceptions about how the real world works and how the real world works, and how Shark Tank work, works, is two different things. Shark Tank is a show. Shark Tank is about providing entertainment. That's what the show is about, and then selling advertising on the show to make money. That's what Shark Tank's about. Never rely on a TV show to bring your product to market. That's a joke, you know. So the reason why licensing is way sexier than Shark Tank. You're like, wow, it's a TV show, Andrew. That's sexy. That's exciting. No, this is better. So on Shark Tank, what they're saying is, we're going to connect you with somebody with a bunch of money, a shark, right? And, and they're going to team up with you, right? Okay. So let's say they do that. Do you think Home Depot, Walmart, Target, who are they more impressed by? One of these sharks where if you are on Shark Tank, everybody's forgotten about your product three weeks later, right? Um, or a manufacturer, let's say it's Target. And this company has 30 products already in Target. That is a much more solid relationship where you and your shark or I don't think they actually work on the projects. I don't know. Or somebody on the team is reaching out to Target and go, oh, we were on Shark Tank. We were on Shark Tank. Well, how long ago was that? Oh, it was three months ago. Oh, so everybody's forgotten about it now. All right. So now we got this brand new company with one SKU. As opposed, and it's the shark, and they're not very impressed. As opposed to you license to a company that has 30 products already in their store. Great. We want to hear from you. When that buyer from that company you license to approaches the buyer, sorry, the manufacturer's rep at the company you've licensed to, approaches the buyer at Target. They take that, that manufacturer's rep from the company you license to, the buyer at Target, takes them a thousand times more seriously than, well, we were on Shark Tank. Because you're a one SKU, one product company, I don't care you're on Shark Tank. I don't care that they funded you to a certain amount. You, they don't have nearly the amount of money this large company that has 30 SKUs at Target does. So the reason why licensing is sexier than Shark Tank is they're providing you the money. That large manufacturer has unlimited money for a product that does well. They have lines of credit and stuff. Money's not an issue for a product that does well. They have existing workforce. It's not you and you hire a few people and you're under that... That, you know, oh, we'll hire a salesperson, this or that. No, they have a team. They have a machine. So, um, you know, if they have 9,000, if they have have 50 products, 100 products, 1,000 products, 9,000 products, you know, they have sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, uh, everybody. And they're just plugging your product into that machine. And, you know, and it might be one of 500 products. That's great. You're part of the machine. And that's what they're really good at. So you're getting that distribution, you're getting the workforce, you're getting the money, and so you're a lot more attractive to retailers than somebody that's been on Shark Tank. So, but let's. So that was my ramble on that. But let's address um, Dumpcat as their handle, where sharks say, "Oh, you don't have a patent pass." That's so much bullshit. Like our students license products all the time just with a provisional patent. And a good percentage of the companies don't care about the patent. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can file one if you want. Or like we care about it and you get advanced on royalties. You take that money they give you, give it to your attorney. It protects you and them. Great. Okay. But to expect to have an issued patent, like they're kind of saying things on that show that the average clueless watcher, because most people that are watching that show are absolutely clueless about venturing products, about licensing products, all that stuff. And that's what they, you know, they're trying to make it entertaining. So don't mistake entertainment for good business advice. And that's not the way it works. You know, Um, I think one of uh, who is the who's the one you got gentleman that owns the sports team? Um, Why am I drawing a blank? Um, I kind of like him. He provides some good investing advice on YouTube. He's on YouTube quite a bit. Uh, Ruben, Mark, Mark Ruben. Okay, I don't know why I was drawing a blank on that. He's pretty famous. Um. You know, he t- there was a, something in the media about like he funded 28 different deals on on Shark Tank and he's lost money. OK, doesn't surprise me. I think he's a nice guy for trying to put his put it. But the reason why is you don't have everything set in place. It doesn't surprise me at all. But it was really nice that he came clean with all that. So don't ever think like, oh, I have to have an issued patent and license products. Complete and utter bullshit. And and the fact that they're enabling that misbelief on Shark Tank, I hate them for that. What I love them for about is that people watch that show and they get excited about working on their products. That's great. I got to give that to Shark Tank. They get excited. They get people excited about working on their projects. That's fantastic. I think that's great. And I'm always going to give them credit for that. But the advice they offer and the way they analyze things – it's more of like some TV show reality. Have you ever heard that saying? There's not a lot of reality to reality TV. That's so true. Um, not saying those sharks aren't smart, but they're, they've been pushed into this certain format and with certain really green entrepreneurs. And I think most of those people should be doing licensing, not doing venturing anyway. Um, oh, interesting. Paco said... Will you be attending the Las Vegas souvenir and resort trade show towards the end of the month? No, I I hadn't planned on attending that one, but I am in, um, Henderson, Nevada, which is right next to, um, Las Vegas. And I, have been living here for about 14 years. I grew up in Silicon Valley, never going back there. Um, I mean, that's where I grew up. It's my original home, but it's just a mess. Um, doesn't appeal to me anymore. That's no barb anybody that's still living there, guys. I grew up there. Um, but so since I'm in Henderson, Nevada, like I went to the Super Zeus show literally and I live like a world away from the strip. When you guys live here, there's a whole normal world of normal people. It's not the strip. Just like if you li- live in Anaheim, you're not going to Disneyland every day. And when I live in Las Vegas, even though there's no gates, I don't go down the strip. Um, I just I just don't. It's just a lot of drunk people getting in fights and weirdness and stuff. And I've seen all the shows. I, I don't need to go to the strip, guys. Um, but it's very close. So um, Apaco, I'll consider it. I have. I didn't have it on my agenda. I've never been to that particular show. Um, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna look into it. Actually, I'm gonna, actually gonna take a little screenshot of what you wrote there just to remind myself. Screenshot that there. There we go. This is saved it. Um, so I, I don't know. So I, and I can't comment on that particular show. Um, with trade shows in general, I'll comment on that. You want to kind of know, like, who has the booths and who's walking around. And so I'll give some trade show advice here. When you're licensing, you don't need a booth, okay? So, like, if you're doing, I went to Super Zoo recently, which is a pet trade show, which is at Mandalay Bay, which only took me 15 minutes to drive there. It was nothing. I didn't want to deal with parking, so I even took an Uber there, so I didn't have to deal with parking, because I have a truck that is really, it's not raised, but it has this Overland camper on the top of it, so I can't park it in uh, a lot of parking garages. So I'm like, screw it, I'll take an Uber. So I went to that show, and you know, when you're licensing, you want to walk the show. You don't want to get a booth because who's in the who's in the booths? They're the people that you want to license to. They're manufacturers who's walking around. The retailers, right? Retailers are walking around looking for new products to purchase, and the people in the booths are the ones with the products and they're the manufacturers. So you don't need a booth, complete and utter waste of money to get a booth. You want to get into the show, walk the show, so you can talk to some of these manufacturers of products that are similar to yours. Like you're doing a, a dog toy, you talk to the ones that get, that have dog toys. So um, now the thing, the show that people really trip out on, that's pretty clear and that's most shows. The show that people really trip out on is the licensing expo. Every year I save people the flight, the hotel cost, everything. They're like, hey, Andrew, I'm going to go to the licensing expo and license my product. I'm like, no, you're not. Uh, you might. Maybe there's a half of 1% chance you, that show might be right for you. That show is confusing to people, but I'll simplify it. It's not a show you go to license your invention. So at that show, like I said, who has the booths and who's walking around? Now, that shows a trip. So who has the booths are brands like Jeep, Um, Disney, like brands, right? Nike, right? Or maybe not Nike, it's not so much, but Disney and um, Jeep and uh, different brands, okay? So they're like, we have this really well-known brand. So we're gonna have the booths and who's walking around? Companies that manufacture products and they wanna do brand licensing. So instead of paying an inventor for their invention, they pay Disney the right to put Mickey Mouse on the coffee mug that's what the licensing expo is about. So, unless you're involved in brand licensing, you don't want to go to the licensing expo. Now that's an unusual one, but there so you always want to look at and for the Las Vegas Souvenir Resort Trade Show, which I've never been to Paco, which I now consider going to and checking out um who's has the booths and who's walking around. That's always I'll try to make it simple for you guys. That's how you want to figure out if the show's right for you, okay? Uh, okay. Next, uh, uh, Satterwhite. Okay. I don't know if that's your real name, but that's a cool name. Um, I was asked to pay 8,000 to launch my invention with a 10% return in royalties. Is that a fair deal? Should I be asked to pay anything at all? Okay. I can't speak, you know, you didn't mention a name of a particular company, so I can always speak generically, and I never talk about companies in particular, and I never talk about people in particular. It's really bad form to talk about companies in particular, people in particular, and it's really smart not to, too, because you don't want to get your ass, right? So we have a very solid policy here at InventRight not to talk crap about companies or people, but I can speak generically, and it's pretty horrendous what happens to inventors. Um, There's always an endless list of green inventors. And this is just, as I say, a bad neighborhood where they're selling crack on every corner. As a new inventor, just don't go there, you'll be fine. The real world, and people laugh when I say that, maybe some of you are laughing right now, the real world where our InventRight students live in is they're presenting to companies that are in major retailers. So let's say you're doing a new kitchen cutting board and you're approaching companies that have products, kitchen products, and Walmart and Target and Bed Bath & Beyond and Williams-Sonoma and other places, many places where they sell kitchen products, right? That's a very positive world. And in that world, I haven't had a single one of our students to present it to a potential licensee, a large manufacturer, medium, small size manufacturer, and they later, then they stole their idea. A lot of you are worried about so it was a good idea to file a provisional patent application. It's only 75 bucks. We have software on our site to, to guide you to do that. Um, but I've, I haven't had a single one of our students that I'm aware of say, I, this, I have students worried about it. And I'm like, here's a few things you can say to them where you don't sound paranoid, but you put them on notice where you intend to continue to work on it. Um, and monitor their website. And I never have somebody come back, oh, yeah, they stole my idea. I've had some non invent rights students that – like I had one not that long ago, and this is how ridiculous and paranoid some inventors can get, and how kind of clueless from a business standpoint some inventors can get um, is I had this guy told me this company stole my idea, and I'm like, okay, well, why do you say that? This is not one of our students. He said, well, two weeks ago I showed them my product, and now I see it on their website, and the product that I saw on the website was a fully developed ready to go, ready to purchase products. So I'm kind of like thinking like, is this guy an idiot? Like, and I said to him, I said, so you showed this to him two weeks ago. You believe that they could have developed this product, manufactured it, have it brought over from China or even got it made in the USA and put a product ready to go on their website in two weeks. Is that what you're telling me? And he's like, oh, well, you, that, that can't happen. And I'm like, no, that can't happen. <laughs> so it's like, so um, the, the real world that we live in is a very positive world. Inventors aren't getting ripped off all the time. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. That's not where inventors are getting ripped off. Where inventors are getting ripped off is by invention promotion companies. The Federal Trade Commission um, constantly tries to warn inventors. The Patent Office constantly tries to warn inventors. There's a never ending stream of green inventors go, I have a great idea. I don't want to do any work. Or they don't believe they can do the work. Or they think like they need tons of money for a patent or tons of money for a prototype, which you don't need either. Or I could never approach a company, which you totally can. So they go to these invention promotion companies and they'll typically charge 10 or 12,000. Sometimes they'll get you for 500 and then they'll keep upselling. It's so it was about 10 or 12,000. And they say they're going to submit your product to industry which if that's what the contract says, they could just send it to a spam a few companies. They've met their contractual obligation. Talked to an inventor just, I think it was about two weeks ago. And they said the company, this invention promotion company said, oh, they're going to be reaching out to 196 companies. And I said, did they give you the list? No, they won't give me a single one. And can they tell you who said no? They said, no, we can only tell you if they're interested. We can't tell you who we're calling and we can't give you any names. And even if they did get some companies will give you names, but you could call the gatekeeper and say, did so and so call? And they'll be like, I don't know. I get 200 calls a day. Right. So um, they kind of, in my opinion, pretend to work on your idea. And then, you know, a year later, they're like, oh, nobody is interested. They took 10 or 12K from you. So, Charlotte, when they're asking you for eight thousand dollars. And the other thing I'm going to comment on what Charlotte said, they they're asking for eight thousand dollars. And this must be an invention promotion company and 10 percent of your invention of the return so it's a ploy guys and that's the reason why we don't do it um so they're like oh yeah you got to pay us eight ten twelve grand it's going to end up being more than eight grand probably charlotte um and we want ten percent twenty five percent of your invention so it's a ploy to make you believe that they really care and they believe that they're going to license it but if they're not making any serious efforts if their sell sheet sucks they're reaching out the wrong companies they're just spamming people they're not going to license anything So that whole I want 10% or 20% of your invention is a ploy. I've talked to inventors that are upset. I'm like, you're not upset about the right thing. You should Google that company, see what people are saying about them, and you'll see like there's no success. And so 10% of nothing is nothing. So why are you upset that they want 10% too? It's just a ploy to make you believe. Other people actually, oh, they believe in it. Yeah, they believe in it. They want 20% of my royalties. It's like, you know, so, um, Charlotte, one place you can go to is InventorFraud.com. InventorFraud.com is some jumping off points to the Federal Trade Commission and the Patent Office there. So, if, if you're not willing to reach out to companies, it's totally doable. And keep watching us and read read our book, One Simple Idea. If you you might find that really helpful. If you go to an invention promotion company, you're just going to be throwing away your money. If you come to us. We're going to coach and mentor you. Now, we're telling people what a lot of folks don't want to hear. You're going to have to do some work. And I've even talked to, literally, I've talked to inventors. They're like, I just found you. And I found this invention promotion company. And I told them everything I just told you. I said, but we're going to make you do work. And I tell them that. And a, a few people I've talked to over the years, so who've been doing this forever, still went in the invention promotion company. And they came back licking their wounds like a little, year later. And they're like, Andrew, you even warned me. And I still did it. And are, you guys are the real deal. I'm ready to do the work, and I, that's sad. Now, tons of others, I save them from falling into that trap. So, Charlotte, don't don't fall into that trap. Okay, you go to any Inventors Group around the country that we support. Stephen and myself have, actually have an Inventor Group of America, another organization we do in addition to InventRight, where we support Inventor Group leaders. They all read the Riot Act to their to their members when they first join, because, oh, I have this company. They say they can do it for me. And it's like, okay. Um, It's like a broken record. So don't don't fall into that. Um, Okay. Uh, Alex said, when when in the process will you invite your prospects to a Skype call? List of questions to discuss at the moment. Okay. So um, I wouldn't do Skype. Um, One of our coaches, um, April... She's in the toy business and I, I, you know, I wasn't aware of this, but for, for the toy business, almost 100% of the meeting calls are on zoom. They want to kind of meet you and see you. I don't find that to be the norm on other industries. I find it to be um, a, a percentage of the calls are on zoom and a percentage of them are on the phone. I think it's great when you can get on zoom. Um and so I would not, you said Skype. I would not use Skype. I would always use Zoom because it's just a link and you click on it. If you do Skype, you need their username. And, you, and we use Skype for one-on-one with our students because it's very private. A Zoom call, somebody else could jump into the same room. If you don't do it right, it can be kind of messy. We use Skype one-on-one with our students around the world. That's great for coaching. But when you're meeting with companies, and I know this wasn't specifically your question, I would definitely do Zoom or the phone, and I love I love it when you can do Zoom. That's great. You can look them in the eyes. It's more personable. They're kind of like you know on that very first call, which is kind of your question. What do you want to accomplish on that very first call? A big part you want to, what you want to accomplish is I'm a person. It's kind of a joke, but kind of not. Um, you're this not nameless but faceless inventor, and a big part of what you want to accomplish on the first call is oh. They seem pretty level-headed. They're not going to embarrass me. That's the first litmus test you need to pass. I'm going to get a, take a sip of water here. Because if they like your product, it doesn't matter how great it is, if you're going to embarrass them and start emailing everybody in the company and, and or something like that and make them look bad, they want to make sure you're not one of those wacky inventors. And they are out there, definitely. Not our students, but – some of our fans, have seen things that they've done. And I'm like, what are you doing? But never our students. Okay. Um, so you're just establishing some rapport that like, oh, I'm easy enough to talk to. Great. Because they can kick it to the curb if they think you're weird or not weird. Weird's okay, but difficult. Okay. That doesn't mean you need to agree with everything they say. Not, not by any means. But you're like, oh, yeah, I could work with this person. Um the other really important thing, I'm not giving you really specific things here, but really important thing to do is to get them talking about the product. What do you think about the product? And get them talking about it. Don't underestimate the value of that because they start talking about it and they're not just looking at it by themselves on a computer, but they're they're articulating that to you verbally and asking you some questions. And now what you're doing is very sneaky, but you're getting them wrapped up in your project you're letting them make it theirs. You want it to be theirs. You want them to take pride in this thing and then want to show it around in the company. And they're like, they discovered you, right? And if they have some opinions on a change that needs to be made or thoughts on how it could be marketed or anything like that, that's great. Get them, but they can't have that conversation with themselves. But if you're on with them and you're getting them talking and you're interacting with them, you're you're bonding. You're creating a relationship. I'm not talking about you're going to get on there and talk for an hour. I've talked to students that have done that. And when you say, it's like, would you have 10 or 15 minutes to talk? You know, and maybe it's longer than 10 or 15 minutes. Maybe it's only a five-minute call. But you want to establish that rapport. And you want to ask them things like, so if you were to take this on, how do you see it fitting in with your product line? What would your plans be for it? What do you think? And they'll share with you things that they wouldn't later when they know they want it. And you can kind of not use it against them later, but you can you can call them out on it later. So they'll say all sorts of things in that first call they shouldn't really be saying. So on that first call, you want to establish a rapport. You want to get them talking about the product. You want to find out about any concerns they have about the product. And you you don't have to solve them there. And you say, let, let me think on that. Even if you're fairly certain you have a solution, better to say usually, you know, let me think on that. I think I have some ideas. Let me think on it and get back to you on that. So the important thing to do when you get interest is to know it's it's this back and forth it's a phone call it's three emails it's another phone call it's two more emails and it's such a delicate thing that even our students when they get interest they have a licensing coach but we they get taught they talk to our negotiation coach and he guides them very specifically that interest you get is Moving it forward from that first interest via email, it's almost always via email and you take it to a phone call, is more important than the contract because if you don't do it right, you won't get to a contract, okay? And it's definitely not one call and it's definitely not one email. And it's not endless emails. If you don't do a call early on, you're making a giant mistake if you just start going back and forth via email. They make all sorts of incorrect assumptions. They're not you're not bonding with them where they're going to give you a little bit more of a chance. OK, so that's the most important things I can say. Alex was looking for that on that first call. OK, and that's I think that's great for all you guys to know. Um, OK, Tony said, I know we're supposed to submit to only one DRTV company at a time. Um, but should we wait for a no from all five DRTV companies before blasting out? to all regular manufacturers. Okay. So this is an exception to the rule. When you're licensing, if you have 30 companies, you blast it out to all 30. If you have 20, you blast it out to all 20. Okay. You don't, you don't do one at a time. Now our other co-founder, Stephen has recommended this, which I agree with. When you have a DRTV, what, what people, people are people like, what's DRTV? Some of you, is many names, DRTV, infomercial, as seen on TV, now you know what I'm talking about. All the same freaking thing, okay? Um, They're kind of weird. Like, they're kind of like, so who, they like something. Who's you shown this to? So if you have, and quite often with these DRTV products, you'll have a list of infomercial DRTV as seen on companies, as seen on TV companies. And you might have a list of regular consumer product companies. Like, oh, this kitchen gadget worked great for this company. They don't do infomercials or as seen on TV, but they'd be great. This is what I'd recommend. You have a list of regular companies, DRTV companies. Go with the DRTV ones first. And this is only for DRTV guys, okay? It's only for a product that's good for a DRTV. Not for anything else. For everything else, you get it out to all the companies at once. You don't do one at a time. It will take you freaking forever if you do that. But let's say you got – there aren't that many DRTV companies. Let's say you're showing it to three DRTV companies. You send it to one. You wait to hear back. Then you send it to another. Then you send it to another, okay? And you're like, oh, okay, let's say – they're not interested. Great. Now you reach out to all the other standard consumer product companies. OK, that can be kind of a timely, time consuming process. But that's the way I would do it. I don't think it's really that necessary. Um, but, you know, I, I, that's the way I would do it in every other industry. Just reach out to everybody. OK. Uh, well, tackle and grapple is their handle. Hey, Andrew, could you elaborate on the pros and cons of using a licensing agent? I know the Ninja Turtles really only became mega licensed property because of a licensing agent the creators use. Okay. So first of all, as I spoke about earlier, there really aren't licensing agents. Okay. Now there are, they are there. I'll talk about that, but people claiming to be licensing agents, and we're not using that name They're Most of them are invention promotion companies. And like I said, that's a bad neighborhood you walk into where they're selling crack on every corner. Don't, go there. You guys wouldn't, you know, if you're driving your car through a neighborhood and you see like tons of crack dealers and prostitutes and stuff, you're going to keep driving, hopefully. Okay. If not, you need some help (laughs) and and please keep driving through that neighborhood. Okay. Um, So now there are some historical exceptions to that. So those, the people that are claiming to be licensing agents are mostly invention promotion companies. though promise you the world and not deliver anything. Or sometimes not promise you the world and you're just thinking, dreaming to yourself and you're like, here's 12 grand and then a year later, you got nothing to show for it, okay? I've never met an inventor in 22 years of doing my, um, doing InventRight as the co-founder and 14 years of running an inventors group that has ever had an invention promotion company or agent license a product for them. Now I'm talking about an, an invention promotion company type agent. Now back in the day, back in the day, not now, there were legitimate toy agents in the toy business. And some of the companies are like, we don't want to see directly from inventors unless you're an absolute pro. We want to go through these agents. That's dead, guys. That's so dead. The toy agents are so archaic. Even some of the biggest companies, Hasbro has approached us. We're talking to them now. Even the biggest toy companies will receive directly from you now. So that's out. Okay. So there were historically toy agents, legitimate toy agents did exist. They don't really exist anymore. There are a few out there, archaic, ridiculous. Just go direct, okay? Um, so now, in, with the teenage mutant ninja, ninja turtles, that's kind of brand licensing. That's a different deal. So that's a that's a whole different animal. Um, you guys need to go direct. If you look for somebody to license the product for you, you will get scammed. You, they will pretend to work on your idea, not work on it you will not be successful. I can confidently say that. I mean, when I've been doing this for 22 years and every day we talk to somebody, Sylvia or Dana in our sales department, talk to somebody every day, almost every day. Sometimes there's a day that doesn't go and then we have two that's been taken for 10 or 12 grand. Oh, you know, I with this company and they didn't do anything and didn't license the product. And now I'm out 10 grand and and they're like, but you guys, are the real deal. I'm ready to do work myself now. Like, it's a broken freaking record. Okay. So don't look for an agent. Learn how to do it. Watch our YouTube show. Read our book, One Simple Idea. If you want more help, you can totally do it. It's not rocket science. Okay. Um, okay. Tony said after a contract is signed, I'm sure there's no problem with an inventor helping spread awareness of the product. To help with sales but my question is to your knowledge are there ever agreements that allow the inventor a higher royalty rate for sales in an area that he or she secured for the manufacturer okay um so first off hopefully you've gone with such a large company that they would still be successful if you were not promoting it. that's the whole point of licensing you're like oh crap you know let's say it's a kitchen product and they're already in walmart and target and Bed Bath and Beyond, and a few other retailers, and Amazon too. And you're like, they're going to tap into that distribution channel, okay? And they're going to market it the way they market all of their products, and they're going to invest in it. And the sales reps are going to be talking it up to the retail buyers and all that stuff, okay? That's the core of it. Now, not every company is going to be okay with you promoting it as an inventor. Some of them are very controlling of their brand. And now, at the same time, And some of them. So that's how some feel. At the same time, the whole like inventor thing is kind of like a cool thing. Now, a lot of companies are actually talking, calling people in their company inventors because it's like the cool thing now. And it wasn't 22 years ago when we first started this. And it it wasn't even 10 years ago. I say that's fairly recent. So some of them might be really excited about you getting some free publicity as an inventor and and promoting on social media. They might want to see what you send before you send it. Others are like, hey, go for it. So you got to talk to your licensee now and feel and see if they're OK with you helping to promote it and in what way. Some are and some aren't. OK, it's definitely not necessary when you license a product. I say the vast majority of our students don't do it and they're doing really well, but it's something fun you can do. But what what Tony's saying is if I find them a different distribution channel, they're not in Can I get a higher royalty rate? Well, yes. And I I can think of one or two of our students that have done that, but it's not really a good sign in that, first off, if you license to a large company and they got killer distribution, you're like, damn, they're in all those retailers. I'm going to be so happy if they get into all that. Okay. Now let's say you're like, oh, well, you could sell here or sell there. Companies will typically do whatever they already do. So for you to tell them, you should go sell over here and they're like, no, we don't really sell in that market. That's an uphill battle. Now, if you go get it and you get a buyer interested and you say, Bob, the buyer over here is interested, can your sales guy talk to him? Okay, you might be able to do that. Maybe you get a higher royalty rate or something for that deal. I don't find most inventors know how to do that, know how to reach out to buyers or something like that, but absolutely, I think that's possible. So it's possible In that, if you line the deal up for them, great. But at the same time, they're going to do whatever they already do. If they sell dirt cheap, cheap little products and your product fits into that, they're going to do that. If they sell Mercedes-Benz, like super quality, Mercedes-Benz isn't that quality, by the way, guys. But uh, they break down like crazy. But if they sell super high-end products, that's what they're going to do. If they sell middle-of-the-road products, that's what they're going to do. If they distribute here, here, and here, that's what they're going to do. If you're constantly telling them, like, I just want a student, I think I give this example before, they're like, well, I want them to monogram each one. And I'm like, dude, they sell to Walmart. They don't monogram each one. Don't ask them to do that. That's not what they do. That's not, they're in the business of selling massive volume. Now, if they do already monogram each one, okay. But my point is, if you ask them to do things dramatically different than what they already do, They're not going to do it most of the time. But Tony, in your scenario, if you lined up a buyer at a place where they don't normally sell and you could put their salesperson together with them, maybe get a slightly higher royalty if they close for the sales that go to that distribution channel. Yeah, that's a possibility. Sure. Um, But also pick a, a licensee that is already kicking butt with where they already are. And don't think that you're going to need to do that if you pick the right licensee. Maybe you settle on a smaller one because the bigger guys weren't interested and you want to help them here or there. Absolutely, I think that's great. Um, yeah, so uh, Hassan was saying it's Mark Cuban that is a a shark show host. You know, I've been very interested in investing lately, and um, uh, when my wife was off in Brazil for a couple weeks. Every night I would spend two to three hours watching about investing in the stock market because I think there's a lot of opportunity there right now. And actually, Mark, Mark, uh, uh, is it Mark Rubin? I thought it was Mark Cuban. He's saying not Rubin, Cuban, Mark Cuban. Yeah. Um, he's a smart dude. I actually really like him. So don't feel like I'm beating up these sharks. I'm beating up the show. If I had an opportunity, I'd probably beat up a few of them, but hey, whatever. They could beat me up too, I'm sure. Um, they're smart people, but. The, the lessons that are taught there, I don't think are the lessons they would teach you one-on-one, even necessarily. They're they're making a show of it because it is a freaking show, you know, and they're kind of saying certain things that I don't think they'd say it that way if it was in private, but they got put on a show. It's about entertainment first. It's not about getting these products to market. That's a secondary thing. And I think any of you, if you thought about it for a sec, you go, oh, yeah, I, I get it. Um All right, guys, I'm about five minutes over. Um, Thank you for, I know a lot of you were on the original stream. We had an audio issue that happens once in a blue moon with, with, uh, with YouTube. I don't know why, uh, but I'm, thank you for so many of you for jumping back on in exchange. If you could do me a favor for those of you aren't subscribed for answering your questions for a full hour, if I didn't get to your question, get on sooner in the hour next Monday and ask it and I'll get to it. Um, uh, or join and become a student and get coached and mentored, and you can find out more info about that at inventright.com. If you go to inventright.com, you can click on free resources too. We got a ton of free resources on there, so check that out too. But the way you could say thank you to me, if you're not subscribed, down below, first of all, give this a thumbs up. Um, I think I gave good answers. I don't think I'm like none of you should be pissed. Going, Andrew, he didn't, he didn't help me at all. That wasn't useful at all. I don't normally get that, but hey, if that's the case, let me know. Um, Give it a thumbs up and subscribe and click on the notifications button Um, and watch more of our videos and like them. That's the way you could say thank you to me. So I remind you guys to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch you guys next time. See ya! Bye.